Hello, hola, and konnichiwa. I am your host, Daniel Gumby Freeland, and this is the Freeland Primer, the one and only podcast fully dedicated to the Curtain Jerkers. I, of course, am talking about those fighting on the prelims of upcoming UFC fight cards. This weekend is the very exciting UFC 273 live from Jacksonville on pay-per-view. Two title fights, Kamzat Chemaev, Mackenzie Dern, Tisha Torres, Gilbert Burns. Tons of exciting fights on this card. But as those of you know who frequent the show, we will only be breaking down the prelim portion of that card. Now, for those of you who might be new to the show and asking, why just the prelim portion? Why not break down all of the exciting action that's on the card, or especially these title fights? The answer is very simple. The answer is we know that you know those fighters at the top. Gilbert Burns, Kamzat Shemaev, Aljamain Sterling. We, we know you guys know those people. But we know you might have a little trouble knowing all of these names on the prelims. And that's why we're here to help. Whether you're doing daily fantasy, you're gambling, you're trying to win a pick'em contest, or hey, maybe you just want to find the prelims more enjoyable, we're here to help you with all of that. Now, before I get into the breakdown, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Prelim Primer is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, or jujitsu, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions and do so much more much of which I will tell you a little bit later on in the show, so make sure you tune in and you download Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Now, joining me to break down the UFC 273 prelims this week is a frequent co-host of the show. Joining me today, you may know him from his Twitter account, at MMA. You may also know him as the combat sports editor of Clutch Points MMA. I, of course, am talking about Lucas Grandsire. Lucas, thanks for joining me, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I love hearing the combat sports editor. Just it sounds so damn good. <laughs> it sure does. All right. So as you guys know, we start each and every round by putting five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Ian Gary versus Darian Week. So Ian Gary, the highly touted Irish prospect, had a debut knockout with just one second left in the first round over Jordan Williams. That debut was back in November. He's going to be fighting Darian Weeks, who lost a close decision on very late notice to Brian Bam Bam Barberina back in December. So here's my question for you. We, we've got Ian Gary here, a guy who fought Jordan Williams. He gets the big highlight reel knockout. But my question for you is, he got tagged a little bit by Jordan Williams, a guy who's no longer in the UFC. Does that worry you at all about his his future here? Oh, yeah, man. I'm Like I said, the, the future, Ian Gary, future here. I like that. <laughs> Listen, man, I am kind of nervous just looking at this matchup. Like, you know, you got to give Weeks credit. He's got hands. Barbarina is no slouch. I mean, we saw what he did against Matt Brown. Like, yeah, man, I'm kind of worried. I feel like this is a fight where we're really going to test Ian Gary, and we're going to see if training at a big team over in Florida with killers like Usman, we're going to find out if that makes a difference or not. So I'm definitely worried, and I don't know, man. This is A lot of people are going to pick the name value, but this to me is a pretty difficult fight to pick. I agree with you entirely, and if you, if you look at the odds on this fight too, it is very blown out in Gary's favorite. The hype is real, <laughs> and, and people are saying this is a blah. I'll be honest, if I'm betting this fight, I'm staying away from Ian Gary. That number is astronomical, and I think it's a really close fight. But at the end of the day, too, I also think I am going to take Ian Gary because Darian Weeks got hit so much in that Brian Barberena fight. And some of that, maybe just being sucked into a Brian Barberena fight. But Ian Gary is the type of dude who just sleeps people when he gets a good, clean shot on you. And while Darian Weeks might be the guy who's going to get in Ian Gary's face, and Ian Gary, like I said, did take a bunch of punches from Jordan Williams... I do think that Darian Weeks just kind of doesn't put people away. Like, if you look at his his amateur record, lots of rear naked choke wins and stuff like that. So, 
I sort of expect Ian Gary to weather whatever kind of storm is, hit that big knockout. Um, So I'm going to go with Ian Gary. How about you? I'm going Ian Gary as well. I'm not sure about the knockout, though. I'd be curious to see how that plays out. I'm I'm thinking more by decision, and we're definitely going to see him get tested. That's how I feel. All right. And that brings us to our second fight, which is Jair Zinho Rosenstrike versus Marcin Dibura. So Rosenstrike has alternated wins and losses for his last six fights, including a decision <laughs> loss to Curtis Blades his last time out. That fight was in September. Marcin Tybura, meanwhile, had a five-fight winning streak. That got snapped at the hands of Alexander Volkov back in October. So my ca- my question here for you is there's no doubt what Jair Rosenstrike wants, right? Like, he-, he wants to stand. He wants to bang. He wants to land that big knockout blow. Do you think Tybur obliges him with a, even a little bit of a boxing match, or is he going to the ground right away? Tybur is a fight that loves to make things ugly, and he doesn't care how the fans feel about it. So The, the thing about Rosenstroik, though, is he's only losing to really the best. Like, you look, those are all the guys in the title picture. So uh, th- this is a tough one, man, but you feel like the guy with an obvious blueprint to win the fight is Tybur, and that's by making it ugly and grinding it out and getting booed in Florida. So... <laughs> I would lean towards Tybura, but I'm not I'm not happy about it. Yeah, and I, I kind of agree with you. I think both the fact that he has a very clear blueprint, and I, I do think you're right, grinding him out is the clear blueprint, but also that, like, Rosenstroik in his losses has looked really tentative, right? Like, that's the problem yeah. when he loses, is he looks like he's comfortable just, like, not throwing that many punches and just looking for the, the seek-and-destroy missile. Um, And, like, it almost cost him that, that Overeem fight way back when. Like, he was losing that fight with two seconds to go before he landed the big knockout blow. I think as long as Tybura stays safe here and, like, away from that big bomb, and also, you know, just his, his fight style is more taxing than fighting Overeem, I think he probably just wears Rosenstroik down, avoids it all, and like you said, garners plenty of booze from the Florida crowd <laughs> en route to a heavyweight decision, everybody's favorite thing in the uh, whole wide world. <laughs> and yeah, that and clinching against the fence, which there's going to be plenty of. Yeah, right, because Rosenstroik, not easy to get down either. I'll give him that, but also, he's going to be up against the cage. Um, and exactly. and that, that brings us to our last fight of this first round, which is Aspen Ladd versus Raquel Pennington. Aspen Ladd, speaking of alternating wins and losses, has done so for her last four fights. She lost to Norma Dumont in a brutal decision back in October. Raquel <laughs> Pennington, meanwhile, three-fight winning streak, including guillotine choking Macy Chason back in December. So I, I got to ask, you know, like the, the real question surrounding this fight is Aspen Ladd, looked so scared in her last fight. She was tentative. She didn't seem to want to exchange with Norma Dumont. How much does that worry you here against Raquel Pennington? Oh, I'm definitely worried. There was a time I would have looked at this fight and I would have very obviously said Ladd is the, the up-and-comer and doing very well, but Raquel Pennington is on a huge streak. She seems to be figuring it out at this point in her career. I mean, yeah, like you mentioned, that fight against Dumont, it was so bad. I mean, even her coach, like, just screaming at her because he's thinking, you know, what is she doing? Is she scared? So... It, it it does really worry me, and I feel like on something like this, you sort of tend to go with momentum. So I feel like momentum-wise, I would definitely lean towards Pennington in this fight. I would also just say, too, that Aspen Ladd is the type of fighter who, when things aren't going her way, and she's trying to turn the tide, which she didn't in her last fight, but even if she no. tries to turn the tide, <laughs> she tries to sort of like muscle her opponent and bully him because she's a lot stronger than, than a ton of Bantamweights. I'm not sure she's stronger than Raquel Pennington. I'm not sure she's a better grappler. I'm not sure she's better in the clinch than Raquel Pennington. And that's even when I think she's putting the pedal to the metal and pushing forward. So, you know, for all those reasons, I'm going to go with Raquel Pennington by decision here. Uh, How do you think she gets it done? Yeah, I feel like the decision as well. That's the the safer pick in this fight. All right. And that's going to do it for the end of our first round. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with three more fights in the second round. 
Alright guys, I told you a little bit later on in the show, or a little bit earlier on in the show rather, that I was going to tell you a little bit more about Maroon Social. And I, I mentioned you can log your training sessions and leave yourself notes, and, and that's a really cool facet of it. But the other really cool thing that you can do there is you can tag training partners and have conversations with them, which is huge for me because I've got training partners who have moved to other parts of the world, they've moved into other states, the pandemic was tough on training and all that kind of stuff. I was able to stay in contact with them, see where they're training, see their notes and things about their training. It's a really great way to stay in contact with a whole bunch of people that you've met over your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or any martial art journey that you're on. So I highly suggest downloading the Maroon Social app ASAP. And we are back with round number two. I'm going to put another five minutes on the clock. And we're going to start this round by talking about Mickey Gall versus Mike Malott. So, Mickey Gall, speaking of alternating wins and losses, has <laughs> done so off of his last eight fights, including losing to Alex Morano by decision back in December. Mike Malott, 7-1-1, making his UFC debut. He got his contract with a 39-second guillotine over Shimon Smotritsky back in October. And before that, a win over Solomon Renfro, which is a really big regional scene win too, a highly touted guy uh, over in CFFC. So my question to you is, Mickey Gall, you know, I said it about Rosenstrike. He's a guy who we know what he wants, right? This fight needs to go to the ground for him to be successful. Can he do that against Moa? And if so, like, is Moa also just going to be safe enough with his good jiu-jitsu? Well, first of all, Mickey Gall, I keep thinking of him as this young guy who's on the come up. He's 30. Yeah, it's I don't crazy. Know if people realize this. <laughs> the whole time I'm thinking at some point this guy's going to – no, he's 30. But I will say this. This is going to be super interesting for the grappling. I mean you have two guys that like to get submissions. Obviously, we know Mickey Gall at this point. I was saying that uh, you know, his opponent was saying that he's the toughest test of Mickey Gall's career so far, which is – ridiculous considering mickey golf fought cm punk in his ufc debut so just <laughs> want to throw that out there but yeah i i'm not sure about this fight it's a very close one and uh for for me somebody's going to get submitted and it's just a question of who's able to get it to the ground and, and get to their game first and and i'm actually going to differ with you here on my breakdown because uh, while i do think I, I i would love to see these two tangle on the ground i actually think that that would make this fight so much more fun I think the problem is is that I I think Mike Malott is going to see that, yes, I could tangle on the ground with him. It will be a fun coin flip fight, and we will probably both showcase the very best of both of our games. I also think he knows that if he just stays away from the grappling of Mickey Gall, I think he has a massive advantage on the feet in terms of striking. I mean, he stunned Solomon Renfro, which led to the submission. He stunned Shimon Smotrinsky, which led to a submission. Like, he might just try to tag and bag Mickey Gall or just tag Mickey Gall because I think he could do either of those. So I'm actually going to go Mike Malott. I will agree with you that he gets a submission, but I'm going to say he doesn't tangle a ton on the floor with him to get it. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to go with Malott as well. I mean, that's the weird thing. Before looking at this fight, I was thinking, ah, oh, Mickey Gall. And then you start looking at it and you're like, I don't know about that. So I'm not confident in my pick, but I'm going to have to go Malott by decision. All right, and that brings us to a very weird heavyweight fight, which is Alexi <laughs> Olenek versus Jared Vandera. Olenek, three-fight losing streak. Those losses come to Derek Lewis, uh, Chris Dawkins, and Sergey Spivak, the later of which was in June. Vandera, meanwhile, two-fight losing streak since coming to the UFC. He's lost to Alexander Romanov and Andrei Arlovsky back-to-back. The loss to Arlovsky was a split back in February. I'm not quite sure why it was a split. He very clearly lost all the rounds. Um, so, so my question for you here... 
this three-fight losing streak for Alexei Olenek, is it because he's cooked in like 150 years old, or is it because he's fought some really high-level competition for a dude who's 46? Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's obviously a Derek Lewis loss. That's like that. You know, you're fine. That's good. You can't take that away from anyone. Chris Dawkins, I mean, now you start to question it with Curtis Blades. Sergey Spivak, you know, sometimes you can look like an amazing fighter, sometimes not. But, I mean, for me, I think the biggest factor in this fight is do you trust Vendera? And the thing is, he is losing to some of the best in the division himself, but I, I just, I don't trust him. His only win in the UFC is against Tafa. Tafa, we're still trying to figure out where he stands. So, uh, yeah, the biggest thing for me is not even in Olenek, but whether we trust Vendera to, you know, figure it out in this fight. Yeah, I, I agree with you entirely, and I, I don't. You, 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 you said it exactly. I don't trust him to figure it out. I think all, and I said this before because I broke down the Alexio Olenek fight um, when he was supposed to fight Ilya Latifi. All he needs is an opening. You need to give him just a sliver of an opening, and he takes it. And I don't think Jared Vander is like buttoned up that he doesn't give an opening for Alexio Linick to sink in some kind of weird choke that we don't expect. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Linick. I say he gets his 60th win. Yep, we're saying that 60th win, and I think 47th submission. Uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Linick. How about you? Yep, Linick by submission. I feel like that has to be the safest pick in this fight. All right, and that brings us to our last fight of the second round, which is Anthony Fluffy Hernandez versus Josh Fremd. Hernandez has alternated wins and losses. Stop me if you've heard this one before. For the last four fights, he, of course, beat Rodolfo Vieira by guillotine last February of 2021. So not this past February, the February before that. Fremd, meanwhile, 9-2 making his debut. He got a rear naked choke win on looking for a fight back in February. That's this most recent February. So he's fought a year more recent than Anthony Hernandez. Now, my question for you, obviously Hernandez is coming off that huge signature win, but it's sort of because his opponent was getting tired out and he was losing a grappling match. And now he's been away for a year. So so how are you really handicapping what we expect Anthony Hernandez to look like? Yeah, I'm not sure because he's had multiple fights lined up, multiple training camps. Everything's fallen out. So at least, at the very least, you know he's training, right? That's mm -hmm. not so much. But um yeah, I don't know in this fight. The, the good news, though, is he's fighting a guy from the regional scene, so it's obviously going to be a tough test. But I feel like I feel like you can still pick him in a fight like this, considering, you know, it hasn't been, hasn't been a crazy amount of time off a year. We've seen it often. He's been training in training camps. So I'm not too, not too worried about the, the layoff. Yeah, I'm less worried about the layoff, too, because like you said, I, I do give people a little bit of leeway when it comes to, you know, be, being able to train during all of that. But here's the other thing I will say. So, you know, if he's a, the type of guy who is, you know, kind of just outwilled people and stuff like that. How do you expect him to win this fight uh, against a, you know, a, a younger guy than, say, uh, Rodolfo Vieira is, a fresher guy than Rodolfo Vieira, and maybe even a bigger guy than Rodolfo Vieira is? Well, I think the thing is everybody's kind of expecting Hernandez. Now he's like this big submission artist, you know what I mean? You get a big jiu-jitsu win like that, everybody expects, but... For me, this is going to be sort of a grind fest. I kind of see it ending in a decision for Hernandez. And yeah, I don't know. This is a very weird fight on paper. I agree with you entirely. And I'm actually going to differ with you ever so slightly on this fight. I do think it's going to be a grind. I think that analysis is perfect. But I'm actually going to lead Fremd. I, I think on the debut here, even though he's coming oh. in on short notice, I do like his long frame. I do like his ability to sort of mix the styles. You know, his only recent loss in his last uh, eight fights is to Gregory Rodriguez. Hey, I can excuse that. That dude is a beast. Yep. So, um, yeah, he's been looking good in LFA, looking good at FAC. So uh, I'm going to go with Fremd. And that's going to do it for the end of our second round. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the last two fights. 
Alright guys, just one more facet of the Maroon Social app that I wanted to tell you about and that's logging your competitions. Look, so many times I've wished that I've had all of the records of all the different competitions I was in since I started Jiu-Jitsu. I've started like 11 years ago and it's hard to remember all the different places I've been and people I competed against and medals that I won. Sure, yeah, I got a bag of medals somewhere and a belt somewhere, but like at the same time, I wish I had it all in one spot. And that's why I should have downloaded Maroon Social 11 years ago, because if I look back five or six years ago, I have every competition. It's all logged there right in the app. It tells me how many matches I had, how I won those matches. It gives me little notes about things I want to work on, because I can put it all right in there. And it functions as like a tapology page, except for maybe with more information. It's so cool. I highly suggest downloading the Maroon Social app so you have this feature as well. And we are back with round number three. I'm gonna put another five minutes on the clock. And we're gonna start this round by talking about Piera Rodriguez versus Kay Hansen. Rodriguez, 7-0, making her debut. She picked up a decision win over Valeska Machado on Contender Series that fight back in October. Hansen, meanwhile, on a two-fight losing streak. She lost to Corey McKenna and followed that up with a loss to Jasmine Jesutavicius, both of them by decisions in the latter of which was in January. So my question for you, Kay Hansen, back down to straw weight after going up to flyweight being unsuccessful there in her loss to Jesuda Vicius. What are your thoughts back here at this division? Is that a good move for her? Is it going to hurt her cardio? Is it going to give her the physical advantage back? What, what do you think about it? Well, I mean, the main thing you saw in all those fights over at flyweight was there was a clear size advantage and her opponents, I mean, even Jasmine, who's an excellent fighter, I mean, she was just kind of doing whatever she wanted with her. So I think like logically it does make sense for her to drop down. It seems like she was having issues with her weight at some point. She was saying she had an eating disorder. I guess she's figured everything out. So I'm not expecting too much there. Uh, but this is going to be a very interesting fight. I mean, obviously, Rodriguez, I was looking at her stats, and I think takedowns are about 23% accurate. So I'm not too worried about Kay Hansen getting grinded out. So I think, and I say this tentatively, but I feel like this is the fight where Hansen gets things back on track and she gets a decision in this one. And I will say this, too, about about Rodriguez, is I think you're 100% right. She does shoot a bunch of takedowns. They don't always look super great. Some of the takedowns I've seen her shoot in LFA um, when she was uh, fighting in that main event, she looked like the, her opponent just gave her to him after a while. Like, the, she, she, like, was trying to chain him together, and then the opponent just kind of gave up. Um, so, like, I, I even the takedowns I've seen her get, I haven't been super impressed with. And that, that does bode well for Kay Hansen. But the other thing I will say is Piero Rodriguez's hands look good in, in those fights. So uh, yeah. I, I think it's, it's a really interesting matchup because it'll depend on how much Kay Hansen wants to take it to the mat, um, whether or not Rodriguez's takedown defense holds up. Um, and obviously, like I said, I, I don't think Rodriguez is going to be taking Hansen down. But I do actually think I favor her hands. So... Ultimately, it's going to come down to, you know, what the game plan of Kay Hansen is, how she looks uh, back down a weight class, what her cardio looks like. I think it's just too many variables for me. So uh, at the end of the day, I'm going to go with Piero Rodriguez. Uh, I'll take her by decision here. I think her boxing kind of keeps her in this fight enough. And, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be really sad to see such a good prospect like Kay Hansen lose three in a row. But, uh, yeah, I, I just think Rodriguez is a bad matchup for her. And that brings it, it, us. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, is she losing to UFC debutantes every, every time? Like, is that what the, the streak she's on? Man, that, is, that would be three in a row, which would be an right? absolutely crazy story. I don't, I don't know if that has ever happened before. Um, if a listener to this show is listening and you know whether or not somebody has, let me know because that would be 
an absolutely wild streak um, and probably one that's never been done before. That being said, three pretty damn good debutants as well. So, right, right. Um, all right, let's get us to the last fight, which is Julio Arce versus Daniel Willie Cat Santos. Arce has alternated wins and losses for his last six fights. Um, once again, it seems to be a theme of this show. He got knocked out by Song Yudong back in November in his last fight. Uh, Willie Cat. 10-1 making his debut. He got an armbar win at Brave CF. That being his last fight was December of 2019. He's had a whole slew of debuts canceled since he's been signed to the UFC, which is seemingly a couple years ago at this point. So my question for you, let's focus on Arce because there's so many unknowns around Santos, is that he gets knocked out by Song Yudong, and, and it's starting to look like the guy who beat Dan Ige way back when has sort of disappeared. Do you feel like he's kind of, uh, you know, like uh, on the downswing of his career? Or again, is it just running into kind of like, you know, Alexi Olenek, the wrong dudes at the wrong time? Well, I feel like this is the fight that's going to give us the definitive answer because losing by knockout to Song Yadong, ain't nothing wrong with that. This is, I mean, this man is on one epic streak. Hakim Dawudu, nothing wrong with that. Beats Yule. That's, you know, let's be honest, where Yule's at, that's kind of expected. So no, for me, this is going to be the fight that determines it. And I'm, I'm just curious that super long layoff though. How is he gonna look Santos when he comes back? I mean, that's this I mean, this fight is a crap fest and I just can't wait for it. Yeah, and I think it's gonna be crazy too. And and it's so interesting because we, we talk about long layoffs all the time and we talk about whether or not that's gonna crush fighters. But in the case of Santos, I'm actually more worried about the long layoff than than usual because first of all, wasn't in the UFC before that long layoff. So it's a long layoff going into a UFC debut, which is already bad for jitters. And second of all, he's a guy who throws, like, tons of spinning shit and flying shit. And, like, like he loves that kind of stuff. One of his wins that I was watching this morning was a spinning back kick to the liver that knocked the guy out. And, like, if you're a guy who depends on timing and depends on being able to spin and have a load of gats tank, and now you're going to step into the biggest promotion in the world for the first time, the jitters are there, your timing is off, Man, I just can't see stepping in against Julio Arce and that going well, right? Like, Julio Arce is a beast, and Julio Arce is also the type of guy who I feel like can pick somebody apart with a mean one-two and never have to worry about, you know, shitty spinning stuff. So, um, yeah, I I like Julio Arce. I like him a lot in this fight. I'm going to take him by knockout. How about you? See, the last time there was someone that made a a Brazilian that made a debut in the UFC with a bunch of spinning stuff. I came on this podcast and said, there's no way we're going to see anything crazy. And I was completely wrong. That was Michelle Pahaya. So, <laughs> yeah, and that, that was, that's was that got to be one of the worst takes. So for this one, I'm going to say the same thing, just not confident. I'm gonna, I'm not going to put my chest out. But yeah, looking at it, I feel like Julio Arce. Plus, I mean, he's a veteran, man. He's been around. So it just kind of feels like that's a really tough debut. Just like you said, I'm going to go Arce by TKO. All right, and that does it for the end of our third round. We gave you eight fights in just a little bit over 15 minutes. We hope you guys learned something and are going to enjoy the prelims even more. Once again, you can follow my co-host for this week at MMA over on Twitter. And, of course, check out him on Clutchpoint MMA, where he is the combat sports editor. Thank you so much for the time, Lucas. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 